See, everything was going wrong in her life. Because of her decisions, because of her choices, she was cast out, sent from her home, evicted from her father's, her papa's. Moving from place to place, making every wrong decision, she felt as if the weight of the world was on her shoulders, and I don't know, maybe it was. And as for her husband, well, she knows she used to love him, but after what she did, after what they did, well, it's hard to even look at him now. There was no going back. And as time went on, her her saving grace, it should have been her children. Two beautiful boys. She loved them both so much. But now, well, now one of them had died. And the other one, well, he was responsible. Living in exile as a murderer. You see, Cain had killed Abel. And nothing would ever be complete again. This isn't the world that it was supposed to be, she thought. This isn't the garden. And so Eve, she was left with a couple questions. Peace with her God, with herself, and with her family outside of the garden. What is it? Can she even have it? And what on earth could it look like? Let's try this again. Uh, Simeon. Simeon, he knew the stories of the Maccabees, the Jewish rebel warriors who had fought valiantly to regain their homeland from the Greeks. It's something, in fact, that his family would celebrate every single year with Hanukkah. It was to remember what those Maccabees did. But the problem that Simeon noticed is that those rebels, the ones who lived by the sword, well, they also died by the sword. Sure, the homeland that they reclaimed, yes, they had peace for a little while, but a bigger and even badder enemy, Rome, well, they came in and they cleared house. They took everything. And so, as Simeon grew up, he, all he wanted was the consolation of Israel. He'd pray for peace every single day for himself, for others, and for God to be in the midst of it all. And so one day in the temple, Simeon was worshiping, and he met this family. He, met, uh, he saw a little baby boy being dedicated to the Lord, and everything clicked that day for Simeon. So nervously, he approached the boy's parents and he boldly asked, may I hold him? The mother, as Mary, handed Simeon the eight-day-old baby Jesus and the man, he wept, declaring, now master, that is God, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you have promised. For my eyes have seen salvation in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation for the Gentiles and glory to your people of Israel. So peace. Outside of the garden. What was it? How did Simeon get it? 
And the question is, can we have it? Peace. Hi, my name's Kale, and I'm the youth pastor here, and I'm guessing you figured out what our word for today is. <laughs> See, we've been going through a series called The Words of Advent, uh, and where we've been taking a look at four different words uh, that represent uh, or have meaning to the birth of Jesus. And every time we come up here and we light a new candle, it's representing we're moving on to the next word, which uh, I know it's not a competition, but the word peace it shows up in 85 verses in the New Testament. That's, uh, that's more than double of hope what we talked about last week. I know it's not a competition, right? It's not a competition, but, but it shows up a lot, right? It shows up 85 times uh, in 85 verses, rather, in the New Testament. It's peace. It's, it's got to be a big deal, right? And so last week when, when Glenn was preaching on hope, he read from us Isaiah chapter 9, uh, which read, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, Glenn did an amazing job uh, looking at that passage last week, but today I want to dig in a little bit deeper on just that one word at the end of that passage, that one word, peace. Because at some point, at some point we've kind of been left to question, okay, well where is it then? Where is this peace that we're promised? Isn't, isn't the government supposed to be on Jesus' shoulders? Shouldn't we see that a little bit more? Because when I remember the story, I kind of remember the whole Roman execution system being on his shoulders as he carried it up that hill to die. And when I think of politics, I definitely don't think of peace. To take it a step further, Jesus is born and that night an army of angels appear praising God saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. A week later, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be dedicated at the temple and they meet a man named Simeon, which in Hebrew is Shimeon, which comes from the Hebrew word Shema. Maybe some of you might remember that word. It means listening and responding. And so this guy who comes in, literally named, God is listening and responding. <laughs> he holds up baby Jesus saying, now master, to God. He says, now master, you can dismiss your servant, that is Simeon, in peace as you have promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. The guy who Luke tells us has literally been waiting his entire life for the, to see the consolation of Israel now says that he is fully at peace. Now that salvation, baby Jesus himself, is literally in his hands. Now that says some uh, amazing things about Jesus, doesn't it? But it also leaves us with some questions like, okay, well what, what is peace then? What is peace and how do we access it and how does this peace look like in a life of a Christian? And that's actually my threefold goal for you this morning, to teach you. It's to answer, what is peace? How do we access it? And what would it look like for us to have it? And so to start off, uh, I think it's important that we define peace. And so we're going to open a little book that I open up in Apex from time to time. It is called Kale's Book of Short and Helpful Definitions that probably could use a bit more explaining, but we'll just have to do for right now. It's a bit of a long-winded title. Uh, I've tried to make it into an acronym to make it shorter, but it looks just as bad. So maybe you guys can help me shorten it. Uh, but we find uh, that peace, it can actually mean, peace uh, means 
freedom of disturbance or an absence of war. Now, that's pretty much what every Oxford dictionary would tell us, uh, define it as. Uh, but unfortunately, it's actually not that great of a definition, at least not on its own. See, the biblical authors, they generally have something a little bit more in mind when it comes when they say peace. In fact, they use the word shalom. So why don't you say it with me in three, two, one, shalom. There you go, you get a new Hebrew word. Now, shalom, or biblical peace, uh, while it does include definition number one as well, it also implies harmony, wholeness, restoration, completeness. It's not merely the absence of conflict, but rather something much better in its place. See, in the biblical author's mind, shalom could be used for many things that we typically never use the word peace. For example, uh, Nehemiah, who was in charge of rebuilding the wall after it had been destroyed around Jerusalem, he says that after 52 days, the wall was shalomed, or technically shalom. But in English, we would never say, well, the wall is at peace. No, we'd say the wall is complete. And that's how our translators accurately translated it. But for the biblical authors, these words, they can actually mean the same thing. See, a world at peace would not just be a world without conflict. A world at peace would be a world that's in a state of completion or wholeness or restoration. See, in the New Testament, uh, authors, this is why authors like Paul could write things like, for creation waits in eager anticipation uh, for God's sons to be revealed, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, but the hope, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay and of the glorious freedom of God's children. It's why John imagines at the end or the last pages of the Bible, like we talked about in our series on Revelation, about new creation. He says that all of creation will be resurrected into a state of shalom, that is to be whole, renewed, restored, complete. So you following with me? You with me? Uh, shalom, it means no, no conflict, wholeness, completion, restoration, and fully good. So there's the what. But unfortunately, it actually kind of just raises the questions of the, or the stakes of the other questions, right? As in, where is it then? Where is it? How do we access it? And what, what could it look like for us to have it? Well, thankfully, uh, I think our Bibles answer those questions for us. So for the remainder of my time, uh, I want to do that and just answer those questions. But before we do that, uh, before we open the word, uh, I just want to pray. So why don't you guys bow your heads with me and let's pray over this time. God, we... Thank you for this time uh, to look at your word. God, I pray that you would give me words to speak, um, but God, that you would give us all ears to hear what you have to say to us individually. Pray this on your name, Jesus. Amen. So what we're going to do now is we're actually going to fast forward a little bit. We're going to fast forward to look at Easter. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You're like, you're already thinking, all right, someone better tell Caleb that we're celebrating Christmas. I don't know if he sees we got two Christmas trees on the sides of the stage. Uh, we should maybe let him know. But I know, I know, I'm not busting out my egg baskets at home yet either. I'm not that delusional. Uh, but the reality is, the reality is that we, the reason we're even able to celebrate the season is because of what happened Easter weekend. Because the reality is that Jesus' birth would not have been that special, albeit miraculous, right? It came from the virgin birth, would have been miraculous, but it wouldn't have been that special if it had not been for what happened Easter weekend, so don't worry, Chris will be going over Jesus' birth story next week, and so he'll cover it there. But today, uh, I kind of want to spoil the ending for you, because 
I think it'll help us understand this word shalom a whole lot better. So we're going to take a look at John chapter 20. Uh, that's page 963 if you're using the, uh, the chairback Bibles. But you see, at this point in the story, it's only been a couple of days since Jesus had died on the cross, leaving all of his disciples with exactly the same questions that we are trying to answer this morning. So let's take a look together, starting at John chapter 20, uh, starting with verse 19. We're going to go one verse at a time for right now. When it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. And Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. So I want you to imagine right now, imagine you've been walking side by side with Jesus for the past three years and everywhere you go, crowds of people are coming and they're following around you because Jesus, he was bringing love and he was bringing healing to many and many people were experiencing those things. But unfortunately, not everybody was happy, right? Because with those crowds, there was other crowds as well of people who were angry, stirring up riots and anger and division. The disciples knew that they couldn't leave Jesus' side for fear of their own lives. And now, well, he's gone. And even though the night before he died, Jesus promises the disciples that he's going to bring them peace and that they don't have to be afraid, well, they now look around and they think, okay, well, where is he then? Because he was our peace. The reason we are able to have peace is because we were with him, but now he's gone. And so what do they do? They lock the doors because they're afraid. But then in what was the most amazing moment in all of human history, Jesus returns. He comes back. And I love how the King James Version puts it because they say, uh, Jesus stood in their midst. You see, we find that the disciples were actually right all along. You see, peace does come with Jesus. And so when he stands in the middle of them, when he stands in the midst of the disciples, he literally brings shalom with him. He even says it. He comes out and says, peace be with you. Why? Because Jesus himself is the peace. And he is with them. But here's why this is such amazing news for us. See, he can be your peace as well because of what he's accomplished. This is how we access peace. This is the answer to our second question. We can experience peace when we've experienced Jesus. You know, the moment on the cross, the most violent, cruel and inhumane treatment of literally the best human to have ever existed was actually the moment where peace could be made permanent. The reason peace is even a question for us as humans is because we have royally screwed everything up. Through our rebellion against God, all humanity has introduced sin into this world. And because of that, the Bible says that we have made ourselves at odds with God, enemies even who desperately need peace with him. And even though we don't know it, even though we don't know it, (laughs) the problem is peacemaking is a bloody business. Just ask Jesus. But you see, for him, 
It was never the blood of others. It was his own. See, he gave his own life to make peace with God for all humans who would receive it. And the reality is that no matter how good you think you are, mentally, socially, morally, the reality is that there is just as much of Jesus' blood on your hands as there is the soldier who nailed him to the cross. And Jesus always knew it. See, Jesus knew that peacemaking would require work and it would require sacrifice. See, Jesus, he paid the cost for our sins, making complete and whole, that is shalom, our relationship with God the Father, so that we no longer have to be separate from him, but beginning right now, right now you can have access to him. It begins right now. The biggest mistake we could ever make after receiving Jesus is to assume that we only gain access to him at the moment of our death, but rather... You have life in the presence, isn't in the present. See, the cross is the great reminder of what it took for us to be reconciled to God, but the resurrection is the great hope of what is to come and what is happening right now. This is our living hope. We are experiencing new life right now, and we can stand boldly before God the Father because Jesus is alive and he's interceding currently on our behalf. That means as you sin today, Jesus stands before God the Father and he says, yeah, they're with me. They're covered. He calls you brothers and sisters. In other words, you're now welcome to the family. This is why Jesus tells us to call God Father or Dad when we pray. It's as if we are being invited back into the garden that Eve so desperately wanted to go back to in our opening story. We are invited back into a relationship with God. You know, I pray uh, for my son and my daughter every single night, and I pray out loud that they would know that they have two papas who love them, both one on earth, that's me, and one in heaven, because we know that God is our heavenly papa. I tell them that every single night. And the reality is, it can be true for you as well. See, when you've received Christ in your life, that means that you are now part of his family. Not just when you die, but right now. See, Jesus gives you life in the present because he has literally given you his presence. He is the embodiment of peace in your midst. You see, humans, we can have peace only when we have Jesus in our midst. It's then and only then that we can experience shalom on a completely different level. Not based on our own experiences or the chaos around us, but rather based on what Jesus is doing inside of us. We experience peace in an entirely new way. But what is that way, you might ask? Well, let's continue on and see what the disciples see and how they respond to answer our third question. Because this, in this story, we're going to see the peace of Christ actually transforms us into new humans. And we'll find that it does it in three different ways. The first way is that the peace of Christ frees us from fear to give us joy. So let's read verse 20 together. Having said this, he, that is Jesus, showed them his hands and his side. 
And so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So in the moment when all of the disciples were cowering in fear, Jesus shows up. And what was their natural response? Well, they rejoice. They rejoice because fear had literally left the room and had been replaced with shalom, with peace, which gave them courage and rejoicing. But let's think about fear for a second. Think about fear for a second. Fear, if we're being honest with ourselves, is something that never completely disappears, does it? See, as kids, we're afraid of the boogeyman or the monsters in the closet or whatever our imaginations can conjure up. And so our parents would come into our rooms and they'd pull away the covers or they'd go and stand in the closets and say, see, nothing to be afraid of. But the reality is that as we've grown older, we've just realized that we have different things that we're afraid of. I'll go first. As a teenager, I was willing to do whatever I could to make people like me because I had the fear of being rejected or disliked. And so I compromised left and right. I just wanted people to like me, no matter how hypocritical it made me. As an adult, I actually find now that I fear discomfort. In fact, I've gone to great lengths to avoid it. As an example, I've actually hurt my wife with my own neglect when she has concerns, legitimate, real concerns because I'll go to great lengths to avoid discomfort and feeling bad. And because of that, I've hurt her because I don't deal with what needs to be dealt with. So what are you afraid of? The beauty of the peace of Christ is not that it guilts us into feeling bad about our fears, but rather it actually reminds us that we don't have to be afraid. Jesus' resurrection proves that the enemy's greatest weapon, death itself, is no match for Jesus. He's already got it in the chokehold. And as for everything else, Jesus' promises, he promises to be right there with us. See, he's experienced those things that give you anxiety or fear, and he wants to absorb them into himself. So cast your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. We don't need to be afraid, but instead we can rejoice because he has given us peace, shalom, shalom. The second way the peace of Christ, it changes us, is that it empowers us to be peacemakers. So let's read on. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now I want to pause here and be cautious with this verse. I want us to all be cautious with this verse because you personally do not forgive sins. Okay? God is the only one who can forgive sins. But here is the crazy part about this. See, Jesus, he literally just gave his Holy Spirit to the disciples. That means they have God living inside of them. And so therefore, when they go out and evangelize to people, when they go out and share the good news, the peace of Christ, it's as if they themselves are part of the mission and complicit in the action of forgiveness. Not because they themselves can forgive sins, but because they're sharing the message of Jesus and hand-delivering the Holy Spirit who does forgive sins. How cool is that? But this also means 
This also means that we have a mission as well. See, we are not left aimless and wandering, but Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he commissions his disciples. And breathing on them, well, in Genesis 1, that's a nod to Genesis 1, God literally breathes life into the first humans. Well, that means that Jesus, he's redoing the creation story. See, he, you are now a new human because of Jesus. And Jesus, just as Jesus has been felt, uh, sent, filled with God's breath, his whole spirit, Holy Spirit, he now breathes that same spirit into you so that you, therefore, may go out and begin to recreate the world as peacemakers. Maybe that sounds over the top, but I don't think it is. See, you are a new creation in Christ. And he empowers you to go and spread his new creation spirit to others in forgiveness of sins in order to experience peace in a whole new way. It's almost as if you were knighted into the army of the Lord as a soldier with a new mission. But his kingdom mission, it doesn't glorify violence and anger and revenge. Rather, in his kingdom, it values love and joy and patience and kindness. It's an upside-down kingdom from the rest of the kingdoms of the world. So congratulations. You are now knighted as a soldier in the army of the Lord. But your technique is not groaning with anger and name-calling and division, but rather, Merry Christmas. You are now a peacemaker. So welcome to the family. Are you listening? Because there may be people in your life who you've only ever called names. Maybe not out loud, but at least to yourself. And the truth is that you now hold access to peace in your midst, the peace of Christ. And like Simeon, you now hold salvation in your hands. So why are you gripping on so tightly as to not let it breathe? You now have an opportunity with Jesus to breathe life into people. So be a peacemaker and give the gift. Some of you um, are going home this Christmas to what feels what, what is the opposite of peace. Maybe you don't have the relationship with your family that you wish you did. Or maybe you just don't feel like you've been ever given the chance. Or maybe, maybe this year you've lost someone. And so Christmas this year, it doesn't feel complete because it's not. And it feels wrong. So how do we sing of peace on earth when all we feel is chaos? And if you're in either of those categories, I just want to say first that I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I've been there, and it's hard. But Jesus, he is with you in, his, in your morning. And yet, in all of the chaos, Jesus still offers you peace. Because peace, the way that Jesus explains it, has nothing to do with the experiences outside of our control. Just look at him for the example. 
See, Jesus, he promised peace mere hours away before his own arrest and execution. And even in the chaos coming, marching up a hill with an execution rack on his back, Jesus still promises peace. See, he knew that no matter what happened, that God was with him. God was the source of his peace, and our God never changes. And the same goes for you. Because of Jesus' payment on the cross, you now can have peace with God, and no matter what happens around us, peace is possible because God is with you, and Jesus is with you, and he is for you. Amen? But we shouldn't let that confuse us as to think that that magically makes all of the chaos go away. The disciples, for example, they all had the peace of Christ. And most of them were martyred, killed, so that you, all of you, could hear the good news of peace. They actually died to deliver peace, just like the king they followed. See, we... As Americans are blessed to live in a part of the world that we don't have to worry about dying for sharing the peace of Christ. But just like Jesus and just like the disciples, we actually have the opportunity to give the gift this Christmas, the gift of peace. It's as if we are inviting others in back to the garden to give them an Eden blessing and say, come back to the family. God wants to be in a relationship with you. So where there isn't peace this Christmas... Bring it. Not because you can do it on your own, but rather because God is with you. And he is for you. So when things are crumbling around you and it feels like anxiety has taken a hold of you, remember who truly gives you peace. Because you won't find it anywhere else. Set your eyes on the prince of peace and share the gift with others. You get to be peacemakers. Because God is with you. The final way we uh, find that the peace of Christ transforms and changes us is it moves us from disbelief into belief. Check it out with me, and we're going to read verses 24 through 28. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not there with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of nails in his hands or put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I'll, I'll, I'll never believe. And a week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't be faithless. Believe. And Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. You see, something changed in doubting Thomas that day because Thomas had, had an encounter with the risen Jesus which resulted in belief. My Lord, my God. You see, true belief will always result in declaring Jesus as Lord. When we've experienced God's peace, that means when we have experienced Jesus, we move further from doubt and into belief. 
And experiencing God's peace uh, isn't just a one-time experience. See, every time you have an encounter with Jesus in every single day, you have the opportunity to experience peace and move further into faith and trust and declare him Lord over that moment and over that situation, which ultimately results in understanding his peace a little bit better. See, it's a revolving experience. We've already said that you need to receive Christ in order to gain access to this peace, but once you have it, well, then you continue moving in this, from disbelief into belief in this beautiful cycle. This is why it's so important for us to foster a relationship with Jesus Christ, to spend time with him daily in his word and in our prayers. You know, unfortunately, I think we've got it into our minds that meeting with God just means a 15-minute devo at the beginning of the day or something like that. And don't mishear me. Those are amazing. That's an amazing practice to have. Uh, it's called a liturgy. It's awesome. Continue that. But we often forget that we can spend time with Jesus in any and every moment. See, Jesus says, behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So spend time with Jesus in your prayers, in your hearts. Because Jesus Christ, he loves you. He's crazy about you. He loves you more than you can even imagine. And he wants you to trust him, to give him the reins. And I know that can be hard for us. It can be hard to give over control. It's hard for me too. We don't like the idea of not being in control, but the reality is that it's actually the best possible option for any of us. Especially when we realize that we're giving control over to the person who cares more for you than literally anyone else in this entire world could ever. When you follow Jesus and declare him Lord over every and each moment, that's, it's only then that you can grow deeper and deeper into the peace of Christ. And we're not talking about nirvana or some inner peace, this Buddhist idea of inner peace, which says that to gain peace, you must desire nothing. No, this isn't that. In fact, Jesus, he had great desire. He had a ton of desire. See, Jesus, he was making peace in the garden the night before he died when he was alone weeping, about to face death because his desire was so great. You see, Jesus, he was willing to give up everything, even his life, because of his great desire. And what he desired was you. He wanted a relationship to be reformed with you. You see, peace, it doesn't come from separating yourself from conflict in order to gain inner peace. No, peace, it comes from a relationship with the living God who is himself our shalom. So why don't you take that next step of faith with me today? If you've never given your life to Jesus, I plead with you that you do it today because the cost of sin is death. But Jesus Christ, he offers you eternal life and eternal peace and once you have that peace, he invites you to spread it to others, to give the gift in your actions, with your deeds, and with your words. Because peace was never meant to be a gift that you hold on tightly without ever sharing, but that you give. 
As the church, this is what's supposed to define our relationships here. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about, and he details how we can best experience and realize Jesus' peace. He says that we do it together. He says it this way. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Remember, we are a family, and you are now part of it. So any time that we can have peace, despite our opinionated differences, or despite our tribal pride, or despite anything else based on our own arrogance, to the exclusion of others, we should absolutely jump on that opportunity to sacrifice it. This is what it means for us to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus, to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. It's the way we become peacemakers in our own congregation. We give up our preferences in order to share in and experience the peace of Christ who is our shalom. There's a lot, of, a lot of talk about the peace of Christ during the Christmas season. And as nice as it sounds, it can almost feel like an impossible thing to experience. But 2,000 years ago, a group of angels came declaring its reality and its possibility. Jesus Christ spoke about it the night he marched towards Calvary. And it's not an ideal or a virtue that you can just muster up by ability alone. Rather, It's a peace of Christ, and it's a peace that transforms us, freeing us from fear to give us joy, empowering us to be peacemakers, and moving us from disbelief and into belief. See, peace is possible. Shalom is possible because Jesus is available. Imagine how your life could be different if you believed that to be true. Because here's the secret. It is. So where there isn't peace this Christmas, bring it. Not because you can do it on your own, but because God is with you and he has given you peace. Shalom. Shalom. Let's pray.